Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And again, I'm so excited to present to you another amazing guest today. His name is Dr. Rob Kelly. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you, Todd. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm so excited for uh, this because our listeners are going to gain so much insight and be inspired uh, by you, uh, Rob. And I'm going to just read a little bit of background on Rob. So Rob Kelly is a PhD and uh, is a world-renowned addiction consultant who believes in treating the problem of addiction, not the symptoms. He has worked for many years helping addicts and alcoholics to recover from their lives from the disease of addiction. Based on his own experiences working with addicts and alcoholics over the last 20 years, a PhD in psychology from Oxford University, as a recovered alcoholic himself, he is a triple threat against the disease of addiction, and I can't wait to talk more about that. He has lectured at many high-profile universities and hospitals about addiction and is recognized as a leading authority on addiction recovery methods that are changing lives. Dr. Kelly is currently the CEO of the Rob Kelly Recovery Group, which we're going to learn more about here in a minute. And it's an addiction recovery coaching company that, is cre- that, that he created based on extensive research and behavior studies that he conducted over the last 20 years. Doctor, this is the part I love, and I can't wait to get more about this. Dr. Kelly's methods may seem unconventional and unorthodox to some people, but they refer to him as the Gordon Ramsay of the addiction world. (laughs) And I can't wait to figure out more why on that. And then he's also an author. He wrote a book called Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking, which was released back in November of 2019. And the list goes on and on and on. And he's just an amazing man. And so welcome. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you so much indeed. Looking forward to this. You bet. Well, why don't you give us a little background to start us off, kind of tell us where you grew up and maybe some background of your family life. Uh, and we'll kind of start from there. Sure. Well, I, I reside in San Antonio, Texas now, but as you can tell from the accent, I'm from Manchester, the United Kingdom. Oh, I grew yeah. up uh, in Manchester with a, a loving, but uh, I would say lower class family, Not didn't really have any money. Money, m- money uh, was uh, rare. But mom and dad did work. Uh, mom was a cleaner and my dad worked for the gas board. So uh, I have two uh, siblings. I have a, a younger sister and a younger brother. And I, w- I was a musician by heart. I, I was uh, on stage at the age of nine really? with a musical family with my auntie and my uncle. So every Friday, Saturday night, uh, we'd be out playing clubs and pubs, you know, during, during my early days. So... People often ask me today, you know, do you remember Led Zeppelin or do you remember, you know, Pink Floyd? And I'm like, I don't. Because what I used to do is all week, I had school and everything, but all week I would be rehearsing for the Friday and Saturday night new songs. Okay. So I kind of didn't grow up, you know. I heard a song by Pink Floyd the other day. And uh, I was calling my wife saying, listen to this, listen to this. And she's like, yeah, it's been out for like 40 years. And I'm like, <laughs> Nice. I think yeah. I don't know what it was called, but uh, <laughs> nice to see you here or something. It was just absolutely awesome. Yeah. So I missed out on all that, but um, you know, I took my first drink at the age of nine on stage uh, at a venue where I was very nervous. So I know I know now that when I took that drink, it was different for me than other people around me. You know, I often asked a friend when they were young when you took the first drink, what was it like? And most of them was horrible. 
I spat yeah. it out. It was like, oh God, it tastes horrible. With yeah. me, it, it, I knew that I'd found something that was going to change the world for me. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting at age nine. Was, was that kind of the atmosphere you were in that people were drinking around you? And is that, did someone kind of like offer to, hey, if you're nervous, you know, try some of this kind of thing? Is that what happened? That's exactly what happened, yeah. My uncle gave me a beer. I drank it. Uh, I went on the second half of the gig, and it was phenomenal. And from then on, every time I played, I drank alcohol. And, and for a long time, it served its purpose. Alcohol was my solution to being shy solution right. in my teens to speaking to girls and my solution for confidence and there's various uh different situations where alcohol played a big part which we'll get into later which kind of told me that uh, every time i drank i was successful right wow well you know you know age nine i mean most kids are you know digging in a sandbox and playing in the backyard and you know playing with their you know matchbox cars and all that but you're 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 on stage um, so did that continue? You're at age nine, you're on stage, you have your first drink and you said it's going to change your world. You had that feeling of, man, this is going to be something I'm going to do moving forward. So kind of like that all or nothing mentality, it sounds like. Yeah, it's, uh, that's what alcoholism is for me. I've just studied for 20 something years. It's I'm all in or I'm all out. There's no yeah. half measures for me. So many people look at the alcoholic addicted brain as a bad thing. Once we solve the drink problem, it becomes a very, very useful part of our being because uh, we, some of the smartest brains of the world are, are, are the, of the addicted type. So, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it, it was very useful for me in certain areas of my life to succeed. Right. But very much so. Wow. Now, did your family know that you were drinking this young or is this something you tried to hide from people or were you pretty open with it at that age? No, I was hiding it and, uh, you know, just kids playing and never really told anybody about it. But my mom and dad had a bar at home. I used to sneak out. It was a long time before alcohol raised its head and the family went, oh, my goodness, what's going on? Because mm -hmm. I'd drink it during the school day and uh, just go around to my friends and drink. And I, I, I wanted to be a musician. I, I know that. And... But by the time I was 14 or 15, I got a job at the local uh, recording studio playing jingles for TV and radio. It was actually Strawberry Studios, which is 10CC Studio. I don't know whether you know that band. Very big in the UK. I, yeah. I've, heard, I've heard of them, but I don't know too yeah. much about them. Yeah. So I, I was playing jingles there. And then later on, of course, um, because of the alcohol, really, more than anything else, I was brazen enough to apply for a job at Abbey Road in London. Really? And uh, I, I finally, after seven auditions, got the job. Wow. So, you know, I'm playing with Elton John, David Bowie, Queen, all these guys. And, of course, the alcohol, I'm not saying they did it, but the alcohol and drugs were, were free and easy over there, which sure. kind of scouted out. And because I, because I worked there, a funny story how I began to work there before cell phones and everything and emails. So I, I, I sent for an audition. They sent me back. I got my first audition. I, I rode down there on the train on my own with my guitar and I sat outside Abbey Road and I looked at it and there was an old newspaper shop just near it who sold beer and I thought well if I just have one beer to go in for my first audition it should be good because I'm so nervous right and I did add one beer went in went back home waited for the letter got this audition went down for the second one 
uh -huh. stood outside and I looked at the, the store again and I thought, if I had two beers for the second audition, it's going to be even better. I had seven auditions and, and the last time I went in, I had seven beers and I was absolutely wasted and don't remember going in, don't remember the sheet move. Come home, pretty disappointed in myself um, and got the letter to say I got the job. So that told me that every time I drank, success is on a highway. Wow. And that was yeah. it. So that was it for me. I was up and going. Wow, man. Yeah, it's interesting how we, you know, we create these belief systems in our mind that, hey, you know, because I'm doing this, this is why this is happening. And, and obviously a very destructive thing when it comes to drugs and alcohol. And so kind of take us a little bit forward how this progressed and how your addiction kind of obviously came to a head eventually, but just kind of walk us through, you know, how that uh, got worse for you. Well, the, 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 while I was at Abbey Road, I put myself through school. So I put myself through Oxford. Uh, and then after leaving Oxford, I was drinking all the time now, every day, not sort of day, daytime, morning, but just daily. I was daily drinking, no problem with that in college. Uh, left college and uh, joined the police force. I lasted a very short time then before they fired me for being drunk, okay. uh, which I couldn't understand because I, I wasn't really drunk, but I was too drunk to drive my car on. So we kind of had a point. But right. I wasn't annoyed that they fired me. I was annoyed that they called me an alcoholic. My sergeant called me an alcoholic. So I then went into telecoms and uh, building towers for the army and navy and, and the marines and stuff. And then eventually started my own company in telecoms and it was just as the uh, mobile phones were being talked about. So that's what I did and was very successful in it. By this time I'm drinking every day and maybe heavily. Yeah, I was drinking in the morning as well. Yeah. And then I got married and thought, well, getting married will solve my drink problem. Everyone kept saying I had a drink problem. I didn't. But I was going to cut back. Kept saying I cut back, cut back. Yeah. I got married, didn't cut back. I had a first child, swore to my wife that if, since the child was born, never drink again. The child was born. I looked at her and said, I'm done. And it was the worst six hours of my life because that's all I lasted. Really? And then, yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't. I said, well, I didn't want it. It was just a case of by this time, with the money that was coming in, we're living in the big house, buying nice cars and everything. Alcoholism was masked by my wealth. And when the second child came along, um, I took two Bibles to the, to the birth, actually. And when the second child was born, I put two hands on each of the Bibles and I looked at my wife and we said a prayer. And I said, I'd never drink again. And a few hours later, I'm wasted at the bar somewhere and wow. couldn't understand what, what was happening to me. Yeah. And that continued through our marriage. And there were some horrific things that happened because of alcohol during the marriage. And, uh, it was just, it was horrible. It really was horrible. Wow. So how, how was your wife handling this? Obviously, she doesn't want you drinking like you are. And I mean, I would imagine it was a huge strain on everything and what you're dealing with at that point. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's kind of begging me not to drink. And, you know, when the baby's come, and she'd be stood there with the baby in her arm and at the front door begging me not to go out and drink. But, you know, I had a disease. I didn't know it then. I had a disease and my brain was telling me to drink and nothing else, you know, would stop me ever. I remember coming down uh, stairs early in the morning when I was searching for vodka because I didn't have a drink. And uh, I snuck down the stairs and I found some vodka in the kitchen and I grabbed it and I looked around for a, this is the madness of it, Todd, as you know. I looked yeah. around for a crystal glass because I didn't want to drink from the bottle because I'm not an alcoholic. So I put the bottle on the counter, I've turned around, I'm looking for a crystal glass 
And my wife followed him behind me and she, she snatched the bottle off the side and she said, I think you've had enough, Rob. I'd been drinking for two days solid. It was about my fourth bottle. Jeez. And uh, she was probably right. I had a meeting in two hours. I should have gone back to bed. I took a kitchen knife out and I stabbed her three times. So as she hit the floor, I called the ambulance. I, I got to the airport and I got out of England. I went to Spain for three months and I never come back until she promised not to uh, press charges. And when I did come back, she had her suitcases packed and the kids ready to go and, and she left me. Wow. Yeah. Man. I mean, I thought my whole world had, had, uh, caved in then, but what I did is I called my attorney who did a lot of work for us and I said, hey, you need to get my kids back. You know, I know your friend's a marriage attorney. Uh, you need to get my kids back. And the next day I give him a check for 25,000 pounds and the next day he turned up with my kids ages one and three. I remember taking the kids in, Todd, and just sitting in front of the TV and I walked into the kitchen and I was so proud of myself and I thought, I'll just have one drink to celebrate the kids coming back. And I opened the can of beer and that was the last thing I remember for three days. When the police kicked the door down, the children had not been fed, had not been changed diapers. Wow. Uh, I was unconscious on the floor. There was bottles and bottles and bottles of empty vodka with receipts from credit cards. I've obviously gone to the shop with them in the car. And uh, the police kicked me and woke me up and they served me with papers saying unfit father. And they grabbed my kids and, you know, they walked. I got up and I walked to the door and they were walking down the path with mommy and the three-year-old turned around and said, daddy, daddy, please don't go. Oh. And then they walked further down the path. I'm crying. The police are crying. The authorities are crying. It was just a sad state of affairs. Yeah. Halfway down the path, she turned around and said, daddy, daddy, please get better. And I'm crying, sobbing. And as she got to the gate, they opened the gate. And the last thing she said to me was, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. And uh, I, I, I couldn't do it. So um, six months after that happened or thereabouts, I'd lost my wife and my cars, my houses, my businesses, uh, my friends. My family won't speak to me. I went from parents to, to friends, from friends to acquaintances. And then I went from acquaintances to the streets. And I lived on the streets in bus shelters and, wow. you know, in doorways uh, for 14 months. And that was it. I was done. I wanted to die on the streets. I tried to commit suicide six times on two occasions. I actually did it. My heart stopped and they brought me back on the side of the road. But I didn't want to live. I was done. I resided my fact that I was going to die on the streets. Wow. What a hopeless feeling and hopeless situation you find yourself in. And, um, yeah, so you, you find yourself homeless, you're on the, you know, you've lost everything, basically. I mean, you really have, other than your own, you're breathing, you're alive, but you don't even want to be alive. No. You know, okay. and, and I think most, anyone who's been through addiction and has struggled with that or seen a family member, they, they witnessed that or they've been through that and they understand what you're saying right now. Um, so what happened? I mean, how did, I mean, here you are really in the depths of despair how did how did you get out of that and what what changed and you know what was that aha moment and what what made you finally get to that point to you know even with your you got your kids saying daddy daddy please don't drink i mean which is the title of your book i mean that had to have just been heart-wrenching to hear that every christmas and every uh, every birthday of my two girls uh, i would sit crying on a bench somewhere um it, it was a very sad state of affairs. I, I lost about a hundred pounds. So 
the fighting. I was always a bit of a fighting man, a karate and boxing. I was grew up on, but people were beating me up because I, I couldn't hold my own weight. Uh-huh. And I just stealing alcohol and going into a bus shelter and drinking to oblivion. And then one morning on a side road, not even a well-lit road, um, it was pouring down. Somebody had stole my shoes the night before because I was unconscious. So I was barefoot. I dropped down to my hands and knees and I just started to sob from my belly. And I always remember bending over on my hands and knees and the, the rain and the tears were mixed yeah. as they were hitting the floor. And it was cold and it was damp and it was just right there and then telling you I was done. I was just, and I, I don't know why I did it till this day. I don't know why. It's like I can't kill myself. Um, but I looked up to the sky and I said, if there's a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. And about 30 seconds later, on a back street, not, not lit, uh, a guy walked around the corner with a small Bible in his hand and he said, he, apparently he missed his last bus home from Bible study, so he walked like three hours home. Uh-huh. Uh, and he said, you need help? And I said, yeah, I'm dying. And he took me back to his house and I got a shower for the first time in 12 months. I ate food for the first time in two weeks. Wow. I shaved my beard off and he said, you can stay here for as long as you like. I'm a Christian man and I'm also an alcoholic, but there's only one condition. You need to come to a 12-step meeting with me. And I hated them meetings. I hated them with a vengeance. Right. But uh, I got there and uh, I'm trying to think how to escape all during the meeting, find some vodka, drink it, and then sneak back in again. But it wasn't to be. And about halfway through the meeting, which was 12 o'clock to me, a guy with a white beard, white hair, dressed pretty, pretty normally. Right. He opened the book and he started talking about how we can fully recover and recovered and talks about God and, you know, how God can relieve me of the alcoholism and give me a life beyond my wildest dreams. And he talks about all this weird stuff. And after the meeting, I walked over to him and I said, would you sponsor me? And he said, no, but I will be your spiritual advisor for a period of 12 weeks. Really? Okay. And that's what I did. I mean, for <clears throat> I stayed at this guy's house and for 12 weeks, once a week, every Wednesday, I would walk to this man's house called John. Took me about an hour to get there every Wednesday. We'd, we'd do the book. I'd, I'd, I'd walk back home again. I would read four pages a day and then we'd go there and then we'd look at what I'd read. And I did that for 12 weeks. And this guy was showing me stuff in the book that was phenomenal. He taught me stuff about God and addiction that nobody else had ever heard of. So the final day when I walked out of his house, having done step step 12, I knew that if I continued to do what I do, I'd never drink again. And I walked back home. And within three or four days, I I got myself into a halfway house, like a sober living. And within two weeks, I got myself a part-time job. And I walked different, I sounded different. I was just working with other people. So when I got my first paycheck, I thought, wow, this guy was phenomenal what he's done. And people were aghast with some of the stuff that I knew. So I went to the gas station, I bought him a little teddy bear and a little card. And I wrote on the card, thank you for introducing me to God. God took the compulsion away. Thank you so much. Wow. And I walked back to his house for the, for, for the final time, the hour back. And when I got there, I, I knocked on the door. There was nobody in. And then the lady from the side, I was knocking that loud from the right-hand side of the apartment. She came out of her apartment and she says, can I help you? And I said, can you tell me where John's moved to? And she said, well, there's nobody been in that apartment for at least six months. I've got the wrong apartment. Wow. So she closed the door, and I'm thinking she's obviously suffering with mental illness. 
So I sneaked to the other side, the left-hand side, and I knocked on the door, and a guy comes to the door, and he looked pretty good. They said, can you tell me where John's relocated to? And he said, I've been living here for a year, and there's been no one in that apartment for a year. Never found that man, Todd. No way. Went back to the uh, meeting that I found him, and I asked people at the same meeting, at the same time, can you remember John? And they said, no. We said, do you, do you remember me speaking to him? He said, no, but we were laughing because we remember you going over to the corner and speaking to yourself. Never found him. You got and him. there started my journey. Wow. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Yeah. And there's been so many things that's happened to me like that. That's just, you can't put me into words. You know I mean? You couldn't. Um, I wasn't, I was never a big God person because of what I've been through. Right. But you can't put into words what's happened to me. Wow. You know? That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That man, my, my, my heart just, wow. And, and my heart, I mean, I was hurting too, listening to what you were going through. And I, I you, you know, you really painted a picture when you were saying you were on your hands and knees with the rain pouring down mixed with your tears. I, I could just see you there and how, how desperate you were. And then, it's, you know, again, a, you know, a miracle happens, right? Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And you go through this process and now all of a sudden, where's this John guy? He's not around, but yet you're probably going, this is unbelievable. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was just, and, he, and it's strange how I met Derek. Derek was the guy I met on the street. Yeah. He got me back to his house. And then by default, I met John. Yeah. He told me. So it, it's just, there's no such thing in my life about coincidences today. I don't, I don't believe in that. Yeah. I think that everybody speaks for a reason to each other and people are put in front of each other for a reason. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's changed my whole life completely. For sure. And boy, I would love to stay on this for a minute, but I, there's so much to talk about, Rob, that I want to hear from you. So obviously, you know, you've, you're now on that path of recovery and I love what you say too, that you're recovered and that's beautiful. I actually wrote a book called uh, I am recovered. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm on board with that. Tell us, I mean, what you've, you know, you, you change your life or, you know, you had obviously a miracle happen to you. What did you start doing from that point forward? Cause you've done a lot of amazing things in the re addiction recovery world. Well, I saw, I mean, got out a conversation one, one, uh, one night, about two nights after I got off the street. And I knew he got me off the street. And I said, here's the deal. And it was a conversation like I'm having with you right now. And he said, here's the deal. Uh, you continue to work with my kids around the world, teaching them this book, guaranteeing they can recover and work with the families. Isaiah 61, bring great news to, to the, those who are suffering and their families. And I will give you a life beyond your wildest dreams. And that's what I did. And, and within a year or so, uh, I was working, uh, and then I got a, an invite to America, to Dallas, to work with the youth ministry in the church with the crack cocaine problems. And I, I, I got everything was settled. You know, I was supposed to go on the Friday, and it was Monday, and you know they booked it like months in advance. But by the time Monday come, I'm getting all my suitcase out. I'm excited to come over here for two weeks. Yeah. And uh, I pulled my passport out, and it was uh, expired by two days. Oh. So I jumped on the on the train and, and I went down to Liverpool, which is 35 miles outside Manchester. And I rushed into the office and they did all my paperwork and they said it'll be between eight and 12 weeks before it comes. And I said, I can't do that. I'm supposed to be flying out on Friday. Yeah. Can I expedite it? And he said, even if you expedite, you're not going to get it in six weeks. 
So I let it go. I put all my stuff in. I rode home. I was crying that I couldn't come here. But I thought I'm not going to call the actual church until the day before because I don't. I just couldn't do it. I was so embarrassed. And sure, yeah. It was yeah. horrible. I, mean, I had my little suitcase packed for two weeks and about four days later, which would have been the Thursday, a knock came at the door and I opened the door and there's a guy with my passport. And I knew right there and then what, what this deal was about. Wow. And I got on the plane and I came here. And I carried a big book round for, for wherever I went. And I started working with people free of charge. And I came over here. And when, I, when, I, when my foot hit the floor in America, I knew I'd never go back home to live there again. It was the weirdest feeling. Really? And I aggressively worked with people. I aggressively worked with alcoholics and the families. Very important, the families. Sure. Um, and I, I don't stop. And whether it's business or pleasure or whatever it is, this is what I do. It's not, it's not a job. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that's been given to me to do. Yeah. It's like a calling, you know, it's, it's, it's I've definitely purpose. found my calling in life. Yeah. Definitely found my calling. And I, you know, I wish, wish other people would find their calling because I think everybody's got one. Yeah. Well, so I, I'm the luckiest man alive, man. Well, we're lucky to have you here, Rob. And you know, as you're, as you're talking and all the great things that you're doing, it reminds me, I heard this once that, uh, from a, from a good friend of mine, if you master the first 11 steps of AA, you'll drink again. If you master step 12, you'll never touch another drop. And that's really kind of what you've dedicated your life to is, you know, reaching out and helping others get to where you're at. And obviously it's your life's mission now and it's what you do. And so why don't you, why don't you tell us, you know, how you formed the Rob Kelly recovery group and what that's all about. It's basically formed, uh, I, I used to run in England, but only slightly. It was basically born when I came over here, tw- uh, 13 years ago I've been here in Texas. Uh-huh. So when I came over uh, for the two weeks, I didn't go back. So I, I obviously uh, stayed there for two months and then applied for my immigration stuff. And then we just decided, I mean, it was me and a friend that decided that we should start a company and uh, I should apply for my psychology license here, mm-hmm. which we did. and. Uh, it started with literally just working free of charge with people saying, Hey, I have this method. So I studied the brain for 20 something years and uh, that with the psychology, the neuro linguistic programming and the somatic experience and God, I created this program. That's pretty much a hundred percent guaranteed. We say we have a 97% success rate. Uh, other places are three and 4%. We're that's the only company in the world that will offer you a money back guarantee. If you ever relapse again, wow. following our program because it's a God program, it's not mine. And everything that's in, in that program is based around neural pathways, neuroplasticity, and a spiritual drive. Wow. And, and we believe, and, and, and so it's, it's been proven, my theory, that when we have a psychic change and a spiritual awakening, our DNA changes. Man. People ask me, why is that important? And I say, well, the big book says the same man will drink again. And now all the studying I've done, and I studied Carl Jung, in universities, 20 odd years at universities or schools, everything to do with psychology and the brain and, and childhood trauma, the best piece of literature I've, I've ever re- uh, read regarding addiction recovery is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. The first one, six, four pages of just phenomenal. Right. Especially when 10 years ago, the medical fraternity, we found out that the brain was plastic, therefore neuroplasticity, and yet we're talking about neural pathway changes uh, to get rid of addiction and yet in 1938 39 
the two guys were talking about psychic change, psychic of the mind and the change. Yeah. So the book was divinely wrote. And uh, I think that if you follow, if you're suffering from alcoholism or addiction and you get yourself to a meeting and grab a big book, grab a sponsor that's had the spiritual awakening and psychic change and go through the program and continue to do it like a desperation of a drowning man, you'll never drink again. But not only that, we believe that alcohol has got little to do with alcoholism. Right. And drugs got little to do with drug addiction. Yeah. We don't have a drinking problem. We have a thinking problem is one of my sayings, which is very important. I remember still outside a liquor store one morning. It was uh, 5.45. It was snowing. It was freezing cold. I'm waiting for this off license to open this, this newspaper place who can't sell liquor till 10 o'clock, by the way. But right. I'm there at 5 to 6 because I, I need it. Yeah. It's, it's below zero. I have a pair of shorts on, a pair of flip-flops and a T-shirt, and I'm sweating profusely. I'm shaking. I have a banging headache. I know from my experience that any time now, I'm going to go into DTs, delirium tremors, which right. means possibly I'll go into fits, convulsions, and die. So the guy opens the door. I walks in the door. I put my 10-pound on the counter, and he put the bottle. He went, there you go, Rob. And I grabbed the bottle, and this was my reaction. <sighs> All the shakes went. The sweating stopped immediately. Yeah. My headache went like that. And my mood changed. And I looked at the shopkeeper and I looked at the bottle. Then I checked myself and I looked at the bottle. And that was it. It was my aha moment. And I said to myself, holy moly, it's not the alcohol. Wow. That's where the program was based around. Forget the alcohol. Yeah. You know, it could be training, it could be sex, it could be porn, it could be food. Makes no difference. It's the symptom of the actual disease. My brain was remapped when I was a child. You know, and it's just with alcoholism brain on top of that. Yeah. We're talking a whole new kettle of fish. You know, you have to go back to the scene of the crime and clear that stuff up, as we said. Because if you don't, you're going to die or get get put in jail for the rest of your life. Because there's no way out of this deal. What I have is a daily reprieve. I looked up the word reprieve once. It means a stay of execution. Wow. You know, that... uh that aha moment is really fascinating to me because I, I couldn't agree with you more that the problem's not our drinking or our drugs or whatever it may be. It's our thinking, you know, and I say this a lot to my own clients. You don't have a drinking problem. You have a thinking problem. Let's work on that, you know, belief systems and things like that. So I'm really, I love what you're doing. I want to find out why do people call you the Gordon Ramsay of the addiction world? I tend, I tend to curse a lot when I'm working with somebody. <laughs> and the reason why I do that is uh, alcoholism doesn't play by the rules. So neither do I. So most yeah. of the time I'm shocking the disease out of somebody. Uh, we don't let anybody off. We don't sugarcoat anything. Right. We believed empowered people in power. And this is about uh, honest, face-to-face, bordering on aggression, though I always say I'll fight toe-to-toe with your disease. So there's some choice words in there. But yeah. I'm trying to bring the disease out. And sure. you can actually see the disease in people once you get them angry. Because when someone's sat there all calm, oh, we look great, you know? Especially yeah. if they come to the office, they've showered, they've changed, their hair's nice, everything's calm. You get them riled up, you'll soon see the disease. Wow. That's what we do. Wow, that's impressive. So, and how long have you been doing the Rob Kelly Recovery Group now? Probably... Uh, probably 20-something 20, 20 years, but in the, in the U.S. where it really was born... Uh, 13 years we've been in business. We have offices in four different countries. Uh, I do a lot of TV. I have a, a couple of books out there. 
um, and just, you know, just loving life. And, and I love my life in Texas and I love working with people. You know, I love helping people and, yeah. and seeing families, you know, get the, get the daughter back or son back. Or we all say we've been working with alcoholics for 20 years and we've been rebuilding families for 20 years because that's what it's about. It's not sure. just about stopping drinking and drugging. Yeah. You know, to do the same old stuff you've been doing now, that's, 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 not, that's not the deal, guys. Yeah. Even though the big book says wife or no wife, job or no job, I get that. But yeah. this is about empowering people. This is about getting that job you never thought you'd get. Marrying that girl was out of you. You think it was out of the league. You see, what people don't know, Todd, is we don't know how powerful we are. Yeah. You know, I often say if we could swap places for 10 minutes, all your problems would be over because you'll be looking at you and going, oh, my goodness am i that guy yeah, yeah. we're that guy and we yeah. don't know we're that guy i i pay, say to people you, you ever been like looking around the house and you find an old photograph and your friend comes around and you go oh look hang on i've got something to show you remember this 20 years ago <laughs> yeah. you both go oh man i remember that and one of you will go you know what those were the days man weren't they make today one of those days Whoa, I love so that. in 20 years time when you look back today you can go wow I listened to Rob Kelly on the radio. I listened to yes. him and I made today one of those days because this is it. This is about living life to the full. This isn't about just taking life on life's terms. Let's do this deal. Why yeah. can't you be happy? I have a saying in this company and it is said who. Well, we can't have a perfect marriage. Says who? Well, I can't go to college again. Says who? Who's making these rules up? Yeah. You know, because it's not us. I mean, look at look at the look at the, the way we look at quantum physics. You know, let's yeah. say a basketball court and quantum physics. The quantum physics says and proven that we are twelve places on that basketball at the same time. Yeah, we can be up to twelve places at the same time. Where do I want to be? Uh, I want to be near the goal. So when I get the ball, I'll put it in the net, and I'm the hero. How yeah. do we do that? We walk over and we take that position. Yeah, we don't ask for it. We don't audition for it. It's yours. If you can visualize it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand. The biggest secret of recovering from alcoholism and having an amazing life, visualize it. We, 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 if we get people here that's not really been affluent but, but wants to be, we will take them to the Porsche dealership and sit them in the car. We will take them to the million-dollar houses and walk them through showing us the house. Why? Because when it happens, because it will, when you get to the Porsche, it's not like, oh, my God. It's like, oh, this feels familiar. Right. If your brain thinks it's familiar, it, it's an easy walk. But an alcoholic brain doesn't like change. So if you automatically start getting that job you don't think you deserve, self-sabotage, self-doubt all the time. You know, I have to change some self-sabotaging neural pathways. And my main neural pathway, the main freeway out of my brain from the, from the back of the brain to the prefrontal cortex has to be neural pathways that we can control and right. we can be happy with. And there's no limit on what you can do. You know, people used to say, yeah, but I can't be president. Well, we have a businessman right now as president. Who says you can't be president? Exactly. Anything's possible. Anything's it's just possible. that people, there's two yeah. things that people don't know. First of all, we make practical decisions based on fear. Well, well, I'm going to go for this one because this is the safe bet, you know. Yeah. Says who? Says who? You know, my, my dad's friend had a job as an accountant and he could have been a comedian. He was so good, and he got an audition for Granada TV, which was a big TV station, and the last minute he pulled out, and he, watched, he kept his job as the accountant. The guy that went on in place, the second choice, 
was one of the most wealthiest comedians in the UK. Really? Six months after that gig, the, the, the firm that my, da- that my dad's friend went to let him go. Wow. And that's life, you know? You yeah. have to take these opportunities. You do. We have wow. to learn by them. Very well said, and I love that. Uh, says who? Because what you do is you challenge that client of yours to go, to, to go, well, I don't know. Like someone said it, I guess, but you kind of put it back on them. Like, why do you have to buy into that? Yeah. You know, you challenge their thinking. I love that. That's beautiful. And nine times out of 10, you know, it's, it's amazing how it changed life. When we got, I got married uh, to Janet and uh, after about four weeks of being married, we had an argument over something silly, but it got stupid. And we sat down and I was, maybe she said to me, well, that's just the way marriage is. And I said, says who? <laughs> and we both looked at each other and we went, <laughs> Yes, says who? I love so it. We dance in the bathroom and every morning. <laughs> we put music on, we dance in the bathroom, we throw things at each other. I'm surprised you haven't thrown something out yet, have We laugh, <laughs> we joke. He's like, says who? He's like, you're nearly 60, guys. Stop reaching around and holding hands when you go shopping. Says who? Says we can do whatever we want, you know? I'm here. I get I get two lives in one lifetime. Todd, that's what I got. Yeah. I dye my hair blonde. I wear crazy color scrubs. I drive obnoxious cars. You know, we live in a crazy house that was only two of us. Says who? Yeah. Who says we can't live like that? Wow. And when you believe it, it's yeah. unbelievable how much it comes true. Well, you've said some a bunch of amazing things, but I love this the most. Says who? And I'm, I'm going to steal that from you, and I'll, I'll give you credit. I'm going to say this amazing guy, Rob Kelly, taught me this. Thank you. That is powerful. That is powerful. Well, a couple things. Um, so you wrote a book called Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking. It was the last word. Well, in that moment, it, was, it could have been the last word you ever heard, right? Tell, tell us a little bit about, is the book just more about your story and kind of just what you went through and what you're doing now? Is that what the book's about? Yeah. So it's Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking, last thing my daughter said to me. And it's a story of my life, but it's also new research into neuroplasticity. It's okay. also a book that the family can read. It's a book that the person suffering can read. It's a great read uh, just because it, it, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's loads of funny bits. There's loads of tearful bits. It just gives you an idea of what we suffer from and how we go about it. And I dedicated it to Charlotte, which is Charlie, my firstborn. Yeah. And um, I, I was so excited. We'd almost finished the book. And the, in, my, in my opinion, the only thing that's missing is me and Charlie as, as a child and yeah. you know some of the stuff we did and uh, 18 months ago I got a message on Facebook and it was from Charlotte really and she says dad I want to see you wow you, you have a granddaughter age one so um, I always get a bit upset here so I flew over and my wife had arranged my daughter right outside the hotel because I was so nervous going around to the house sure. so as I opened the hotel door my daughter was there and just to walk over and the whole deal. Yeah, wow. It was just absolutely it was it was just like God going, Good job, Rob. Wow. Good job. And then we went out to a house which was like minutes away. And then we walked in and then she passed she passed me the granddaughter. And I looked up to the sky and I could see God just smiling, saying, I told you to do this. And we keep in contact every day. And, wow. You know, I dedicate the book to one of us some pictures in there, me and Charlotte. And the, the youngest one hasn't come around yet, but you know something, Todd? She will. Yeah. She so, will. Yeah, I believe that too. No, no one put a time limit on it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's just, 
So the book came out and it's doing really well. And what we tell everybody is, is that this is not a money thing. When you hear people say all the profits go to, no, all the proceeds of that book uh, go back into the community or communities around uh, wherever we need to help. We put $250,000 back into the community last year. Wow. Uh, help one, you have to be a one parent family. You have to be a, a recovering alcoholic or addict and you have to have children. So we will buy you cars. We will pay for rent for a year. We'll buy all the Christmas presents, all the toys. And your kid will not know that you're suffering because we'll come down dressed as Father Christmas. And, you know, this is what we do. It's like, if I can do it, I'm, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Just helping people. I know this, empowered people empower people. And that's what I do. I, I empower people wow. with, that, with that word that we both like, says who. Yeah. You know, well, don't question I'll tell you, you're empowering me right now to want to be better and do better in what I'm doing. So, man, you're, this is amazing, Rob. And you're very well spoken, but your story is incredible. I mean, I, I'm blown away. I mean, I obviously knew a little bit about you, but man, to hear it from you and this is, this is amazing. Um, if someone wants to get that book, how would they, how would they get that book? Just go to Amazon, Amazon? Okay. Dr. Rob Kelly or Daddy Daddy. And it will come up, the rest of it will come up. Please stop drinking. So it's only exclusives from Amazon. It's $14.99 if you want to give back to the community. If you don't, I think you can download it free. If you've got like something to download it, download it, have a look at it. Uh, send me a, an email or something. Uh, I'm going to leave my phone number before I go, my personal phone number. Send me a text. Hey, enjoyed your book or any questions you've got. If you're struggling at home or you're, or you're a parent that's struggling or a loved one and you just don't know where to turn to, I'm going to give my phone number out. Call me. It doesn't cost you anything for a 15-minute conversation. You know, if you're feeling down yourself and you can't get out of that rut, listen carefully. I'm going to give you a pep talk that will change your life because you need to know who you are, guys. You need to know who you are, ladies. You need to know how powerful you are and how empowered you can be because, listen, it's not about you. There's other thousands and hundreds of thousands of people waiting to get well because you're going to teach them. So we're going to get you well. You're going to get them well. And we're going to start a movement now. So call me. Here's the yeah. number, guys. It's 214-600-0210. That's my personal cell phone number. No assistant will pick it up. No staff. That comes straight through to me. The only reason I won't pick it up is if I'm with a patient, leave a voicemail, I'll call you yeah. back. If you're outside the country, use WhatsApp. It's awesome. Dang. That's awesome, man, that you'd be willing to, to share your cell number with everybody. And, and uh, that's, that's fantastic. I wanted to ask you one more thing uh, before we wrap it up. If, if someone, you know, someone who's listening to this story right now, listening to you, Rob, who's struggling, who may be in that kind of pit of despair where, they, where you found yourself, what advice could you give them right now if, if they just feel like they're stuck and they, they have nowhere to turn? Well, as we all know, um, suicide is a temporary problem. Uh, sorry, permanent problem for a temporary suicide. Dialogue is the key. Call somebody up. Call me up. Call anybody. Call your mum you've not seen for 10 years. Call a friend that you've not spoken to. If you're feeling really down, this, what you're going through right now, could be the best thing you've ever been through. Because when I look back on my, on my days in the streets today, it's like a semester at Harvard. Take these days. Wow. Take the pain. There's always pain before a birth. We all know that. This could be you reborn. And can you imagine in five or six years' time when you're talking to someone and empowering them and they go, hey, Johnny, but you don't know. You've never been down in the depths, homeless. Yeah, I did. 
I remember those days when I heard that Rob Kelly speak and, and I decided that I wanted to do this because says who, you know, you can do it. Just right. Get up. They can do it. Come on, let's do it. All of you out there that's feeling down, let's do it. Let's get some life and joy. Life today. Compliment three people. Let's get out of us and, and let's start a movement, guys. Let's start a movement. I, I was at a, a meeting about uh, 16 years ago and uh, a girl came in and she kept looking at me. Of course, my male ego thought that she fancied me. Uh, <laughs> and then she came, she came over to the end of the meeting and said, do you remember me, Rob? And I went, no. She said, you picked me up off my mom's sofa after the hospital had sent me on to die. I'm the heroin addict that everyone says was going to die. You want to me back to your ranch, Rob, and you worked me for three months. Rob, I'm 17 years sober today, and I want to thank you. Wow. That's the stuff we're talking about. Yeah. So if you're feeling low and you are there, come on, we can do this. I'm rooting for you. We can do this, guys. Man, that is powerful, Rob. That is amazing. You know, um, I know you have a website. What, what's your website so we can refer people there as well? So my name is with two Bs, R-O-B-B-K-E-L-L-Y.com. It's robkelly.com. The email is rob at robkelly.com. And if you can't remember all that, just go onto Google and just put Rob Kelly in and up I'll pop. Click straight on the website. Have a look around. You can see the books on there and lots of other information and videos on me. But yeah, that's, uh, I'm out there, guys. Come and find me. Let's have a chat. Cost you nothing. Cost you nothing. Wow. There you go, listeners. Well, uh, Rob, I want to thank you for taking time out of your really busy schedule to sit down with me and share your amazing story. Um, I'm inspired. I'm blown away, to be totally honest with you. I wasn't expecting all of this. And I know my listeners are going to be like, man, this was fantastic. I needed to hear this. I'm going to challenge the listeners right now, myself as well. Please share Rob Kelly's belief cast with your family members, your, your friends, anyone who you know is struggling, who, who may have a, you know, a friend, you don't know who to, how to talk to them, have them listen to this. This will inspire them to get help and, and probably even reach out to Rob and, and Rob will inspire them to, to move forward with their, with their recovery. And, and so Dr. Rob Kelly, I can't thank you enough, my friend. And I'm so grateful that I've had this opportunity to sit down with you. Thanks very much, Todd. I told you it was going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's just fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much, Robin. Until next time. Thank you.